This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank Central Works once again for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara, and all of you who've been buying the jerseys. Uh, I, you know, we, I had two jerseys and uh, um, uh, our uh, uh, Kahinde, she, Kahinde <laughs> bought one, and right. uh, I think Conrad Panganaban, he bought uh, one. So, we, you know, we're doing pretty good. So that's awesome. I really, really appreciate cool. the people who are um, sponsoring us. And we have a fantastic guest, Lana Palmer. Lana, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. You are a playwright. You're a filmmaker as well. Um, and you're uh, one, uh, an extensive sound designer. Uh, your work's been featured in Bread and Butter Theater, Dragon Theater, and the Portrero Stage. Where I met you, you had written a wonderful uh, piece called uh, The Oh Shucks, the Cosmic Void. And... Um, and you, uh, we were just talking about your uh, the play that you had. I believe I forget what um, stage it was on, but it was uh, the funeral game. Was that the, at the Pertrero stage? It was. Ah, fantastic. Um, how was that? It was fantastic. Um, we were very lucky to sneak it in at the beginning of 2020, prior to uh, all of the COVID shutdowns. It was a really uh, wonderful experience. Uh, bread and butter focuses, tends to focus on two-person shows. Uh, so prior to that, we did Red and we did the North Pool. And we were looking for a show uh, because those both of those plays uh, had two men in the, in the cast. And we were looking for a show with two women. And the, the only one that I was interested in directing was uh, the How and the Why, which I had previously directed um, at Dragon Theater uh, the year before. Uh, so because we couldn't find a play to do, we said, okay, well, I guess I have to write a play. And that show was actually adapted from a short play that uh, had a stage reading with Playwright Center, similar to The Cosmic Void. And it was quite well received and I knew there was something more there that I wanted to explore. So I ended up kind of dusting it off and mm -hmm. expanding it into a full length piece. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll talk more about that um, because I, th you know, I think it's fantastic. I was really blown away by the Cosmic Void. Uh, there were lots of wonderful pieces uh, that the Playwright Center uh, pushed through and so I knew I know it's been a couple of years. So, well, actually, you you know you were the you helped do sound for Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. You <laughs> helped me remember that. Uh, so it was great to see you again, Norman. As I begin this week, how is your week and how's um great, how is, expectations. Uh, great expectations going? Charles Dickens. You great guys open today, right? We open tonight. Yeah. Oh lordy, it's been a week. It's been a week that started in near tears, and last night was our third preview and. Ooh, this might we might pull this off. It might be fun. So yeah. it's been exciting. It's down at San Jose stage, which means a big commute every day, and then a big commute home. And then yesterday they called us at like noon, so we had rehearsals, dinner break, and then you know performance. Uh, 
It's been, I don't know. We will spend more time talking about Great Expectations, but it's yeah. exciting. I'm excited to be back down there. The cast is amazing. Yeah. And um, and the concept is pretty tricky because you're dealing with Dickens, so there's that yeah. novel, that sense it's of a novel. It's not really, a, I mean, it's a play, but it's based on a novel, so. It's based on a pretty substantial novel, and this writer, uh, Neil Bartlett, I think his name is, um, the adaptation He's managed to encapsulate a lot in a story that moves pretty quickly. Yeah. So, and I think Dickens actually allows you to do that because Dickens wrote in a serial form, right? So, mm. and you can tell there are those chapters where it's like, dude said, wait a minute, I want to get paid for a couple more months. Let me, let me throw in this little subplot or let me tell you more about this little character because I have an interesting story to tell about them. <laughs> Stuff like that is gone, but I stand on stage at moments. <clears throat> Just sort of smiling because in my inner life I'm thinking about oh my character one I play three main characters Wemmick is the assistant to the solicitor mm-hmm. in the in the piece and uh, Wemmick is making a good enough living that he has built a small castle mm. so every time I'm at work and I've got some quiet time I think about my castle there there you go yeah it reminds me of a English version of um, the Great Gatsby. You know, you have rich folks who are talking about, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And you have all these different characters. And, of course, Dickens always talks about the poor, you know, right. and, and what's going on in Edwardian England. And, of course, this is an adaptation. This is right. a modern adaptation. It's correct? a modern adaptation, but but it is, you know, it's period. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the What I love is another way to look at it is that Dickens is talking about these characters with their first world problems. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) With a backdrop of just incredible poverty. Yeah. And also, you guys got a write up at uh, broadwayworld.com. I have a click on that. And um, Li Ling Ao, who is also doing amazing work, I hear. Yeah. uh, uh, She had it. She's my wife. There you go. Hey, lucky man. <laughs> uh, and she, there's an interview uh, that they did for, um, they interviewed Li Ling Ao, um, who is in Great Expectations. And oh, we have that great. link. Yay. So we'll talk about that. There have been some current uh, events, um, a lot of uh, court-related <laughs> cases. We won't get, uh, you know, too deep into politics if that's um, troublesome for you. But, you know, Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse found not guilty of all counts. Because it's okay to go to a protest and just shoot people. Well, you know, there's that, you know, a 17-year-old kid walk, walking around with AR-15. I mean, that right. alone, even before he shot the gun, yeah. he should have been guilty of that. So, I don't Right, know. when they pulled that one off, the, we're not going to consider that charge. Seriously? <laughs> Why? Because he is guilty as hell of it? Yeah. The thing that stuck out for me in that case is he was not uh, found guilty or... The fact that he was carrying a weapon right. was not a problem because the barrel was over 16 inches. What? what does that oh, mean? Really? Yeah, if if it had been under 16 inches, oh, they, they would have considered, considered that. Uh, I guess, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm very, obviously, I'm not a gun enthusiast, but I guess if you modify a weapon drastic enough, it can well, be considered I think, illegal. I think also the longer weapons are considered hunting. hunting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I yeah, see. They're not, and that's not really, what, the Come intent on, of that was for not hunting? for no, military right. style weapons. Yes. Right, 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 exactly. It's... It's crazy. I mean, I've been because I'm in the legal field. That's my day job. I work as a paralegal for the DA's office. And the minute I saw some of the judge's rulings, even without the jury being there, you know, what evidence goes in and out. I said, oh, my, you know, this thing is 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 what do they call it? Nerfed from the very beginning. I mean, he's so it's horrible. 
you got the Ahmad Arbery case, you got the Charlottesville trial. Uh, you know, there's a uh, kid, Julius Jones. He avoided death, the death penalty, so the Ohio, the Oklahoma governor commuted his death sentence. Right, but. It's based on the fact that there's evidence that he wasn't involved in a shooting. This happened in 1999. Right. Um, so there's evidence he didn't do it at all, but yet he's still going to be in jail. Right. So it's it's crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad to be in San Francisco where, you know, it's like, how free are you? Well, if you're in San Francisco, you're free. If you're in Wisconsin or if you're in the Midwest states, then maybe not. Well, even if you're a woman, you it's know. neat yeah. seeing these guys um, on trial, basically <laughs> like the um, Ahmad Aubrey. Yeah. Um, testifying. No, he didn't threaten me. No, he didn't come at me. No. Yes, we chased him down. Uh, and it's like, wait a minute. This is this is your defense. Yeah. And they're painted in the corner. You know, they they have they have. There's no other defense than I was in fear of my life, despite the fact that there's a guy, a black man, walking his dog. Mm. In a private area. Well, no, he's jogging. Jogging, but I think he had a dog. No, no, he was jogging. You haven't seen that videotape? Holy oh, crap. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's, bad. It's it's pretty gruesome. But in any case, okay, so um, so so there's that. There's also in the Bay Area. There's a lot of closings. I, I don't know how often you shop in in um, San Francisco, but CBS has closed a bunch of shops. Um, oh, they've closed. Uh, let's see. Um, Oh, I, I thought I had the, uh, but Safeway has also closed a bunch of uh, stores. No, I hadn't and heard so, that. And Walmart. There's rampant um, uh, theft, shoplifting, uh, shoplifting yeah. going on, as well as COVID-19. People are just shopping, you know, um, right. online. So, you know, that's what's going on. Um, also, I tried to squeeze in uh, uh, some fun stuff. The dog phone. Have you you two heard of the dog phone? No. Have not. <laughs> so, there's an inventor, a woman named Ileana uh, I'm going to butcher this thing. Eliana Hersky Douglas. She's a Scottish professor. She invented a phone, or at least a phone chip that she can put in a um, a little dog ball. Oh. Her dog can chew it, and when it chews, then her phone rings, and she can talk and actually do a voice, uh, talk, uh, I mean, video chat okay. with her dog. <laughs> because she feels that user experience regarding um human and animal interactions have been on the human and not on the animal so she's giving her dog liberty to take control and to, <laughs> to give call her master her a call i think she's I, desperate for a phone call that's jeez <laughs> i don't even want to look at her phone bill but uh <laughs> who, who, who knows that if the dog even knows what the dog is doing but in uh, any case um I'll ask you just one last question, Alana, before we get into an origin story with you. Just how do you feel? I mean, we're in year one of Biden, and uh, we, you know, hopefully things have gotten a little bit better. Uh, oh, Man, actually, uh, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris made history for eighty, I think, for maybe eight hours. She was president of the United States because no. Biden had a colonoscopy. Oh, and so he was under the blade. Oh, geez, I didn't see that. And so she was the first woman and the first person of color to run right. for a temporary moment the United States. Wow. But um, it just feels, although Trump is gone, and of course there are indictments going on against him, it still feels. I mean, when I hear about these rulings in court in these states, I just feel we we are still in a very combative. I don't know. America is still divided, very much divided. Right. Um, how do you feel overall? Do you feel more optimistic or pessimistic? Uh, how do you feel? Uh, well, 
to your first question, how do I think things have changed? I know for me personally, I don't feel the need to spend three or four hours a day reading the news sure. because I'm terrified about what's going to happen uh -huh. uh, next. I definitely, um, once Biden won the election, it was just huge relief for me. And now I check the, n the news like a normal person. Sure, <laughs> 30 sure. 30 minutes a day. Yeah. Um, I think they're doing a great job. I you know the this bill that just passed um i think is that's right the infrastructure bill is really yeah. exceptional i think that everybody in america especially um some of the people that might be his big biggest detractors mm -hmm. should be very excited about um especially things like uh universal preschool um sure, right. more money for for child care things like that um now, to your question about whether a divide remains, I, I absolutely think there's a divide. And yeah. at this point, I don't know if this country is ever going to move beyond that. I don't know what it's going to take yeah. to move beyond it. Um, and it's it's interesting for me because I I am I was born in Canada. Yeah. Oh. I became That's a right, yeah. Canadian citizen. All right. I became an American citizen in 20. 19 just uh, before the pandemic just before the pandemic and the what prompted me to do it is i had to vote in the election i could have stayed wow, a permanent wow. resident but i felt like i had to put my money where my mouth was yeah. and and do my part too i want to thank you so much because you know that that sort of uh civic duty or that civic responsibility um mm -hmm. it's you know, it's what we need, and it's it's how a difference can be made. And there's so many Americans who have this opportunity to vote and don't. Still, yeah. Yeah, and still now. So to In the face of all the craziness, it's yeah. like, wow, you could actually decide how you want things to go, and for whatever reason, you don't. Right, right, exactly. Well, I mean, it's it's something that we take for granted. We, you know, we think freedom. Freedom mm -hmm. is not free, as Martin Luther King used to say. You know, it, it takes voting and being civically responsible. And for someone who is, you know, Canadian to say, hey, listen, I need to make a stand. So let me become a citizen and get into the action. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I want to promote you a little bit. I'm going to play a little bit of your music. This is some ambient music, so there's not going to be, but it's beautiful. It's so, so, so beautiful. And from your website, you uh, talk about it being um, featured in several uh, television shows uh, right now. But I'll, I'll just, just play it a little bit. This is a way, great way to introduce, <laughs> introduce you. story how did you get involved in theater we know you're in Canada um, how was living in, in Canada I have another 
Defunct Podcast. I'm an American too, where I interview people who are not born in America to get their view on American life. So it's, <laughs> um, how was growing up in Canada? Um, <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's an interesting question because of course we kind of take for granted the way that we grew up. Like that's the way, that's our only experience of the world. Um, mm -hmm. so that's, that's really all we know. Um, I'm from Saskatoon. I was born in Saskatoon, mm -hmm. Saskatchewan, which is kind of a mid-sized city, uh, between 200 and 300, I think we're now about 300,000 people. Um, home of Joni Mitchell originally, oh wow. so we've got nice. that going for us. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I grew up, I, I had a quite a, a quite a lovely upbringing, I will say. Um, cool. We uh, had a, moved out to an acreage when I was in about middle school age and had horses. I was a very much, um, very much an athlete um, right? in, in, Growing up, uh, very into horseback riding, but also figure skating was a big part, big part of my life. And I actually ended up coaching skating for many years. Um, but I ended up uh, getting involved in film. I studied film in university. And uh, because of how tax credits work, uh, Saskatchewan actually had a lot of film production going on at, at the time, mm -hmm. um, which allowed me to start working on TV shows while I was still in, in university, which was a really... Wow great um opportunity and getting like onset experience um tv shows movies um and then after i graduated i moved out to vancouver and started working in the camera department and uh got to work on uh the show psych i don't know if you know that yeah, show yeah, yeah, uh, yeah i worked on the movie watchmen i worked wow. on wow. some other shows um, I'm a comic book nut. Yeah, so it was a really, I mean, that's where you learn, right, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in production. But I, m what I wanted when I was studying film was to be a director. That was my yeah. goal. And uh, what I saw on set mm -hmm. was that a lot of the directors were fantastic visually, yeah. but weren't that great about communicating with actors. Yeah, and that's been a trade. And I've actually oh, worked yeah. with a couple of folks uh, usually in, um, not ACT, but uh, there's a, um, well, even uh, we had Raymond Ray on, and he uh, he's teach a film for San Francisco State, and I've worked with some of his students. And that is a problem where directors, they don't know how to think the way an actor thinks, and they don't know how to give direction uh, that way. So you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So that kind of kick-started, I guess, <laughs> the next uh, part of my career like where I wanted to go to next what I I learned that I didn't really want to stay working as a crew person because the time it would take for me to get into a position of power would be 15 or 20 years no, uh, yeah. if if that if I was lucky because it just takes a long time to work your way up inside the union sure um, I ended up uh, going to the BAM Center, I took a job at the BAM Center, which is a really wonderful um, arts residency center in Canada. And there I started getting into sound design, mm. uh, sound design and music. Um, after that, I did a graduate um, certificate program specifically in audio. Um, and this is, g I'm getting to, to my uh, introduction to theater, but it's, it's okay. Um, yeah. But, but I did have a quick question. I mean, just arts in general. I mean, because you'd started out, it sounds like when you were young, ath athletics was more your thing. 
but someone something within you said hey I want to get more into you know production mm-hmm. it may not have been theater but it was still you know like film and television that sort of stuff well there were a couple things early sure. um, first of all I would say uh, the the sport that resonated resonated with me the most was figure skating mm. and that's very much about storytelling to me it was, uh, it was athleticism but it's also very much about storytelling and also music is such yeah. a huge part of it yeah um, and I think in some ways what I liked about skating was uh, being with them that music and mm. it um, now it's so exciting for me to to actually get to create the music uh, yeah, which yeah. is maybe what I wanted to do all the all along uh, it's, it's just an that interesting was connection to yeah, music that's actor, wild interacting yeah. with music. it and but interpreting I, I th- it and yeah. I think in my mind like you know when I think of Nancy Kerrigan you know dancing or Michelle Kwan mm-hmm. they really do have to connect I mean it's so right. it's, it's presentational but there's an art, you know, involved with that sort of athleticism, oh, yeah. where you're skating. Of course, you're, you know, dealing with the balance. I mean, I can't skate worth <laughs> anything, mm-hmm. but you, you really are dancing and flowing with the music, while being, you know, pr- you know, being precise with, mm-hmm. with your skating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it was that was always there. Also, um, when I was young, uh, our house was used as a set for a commercial. Oh wow! And so I got to see all of the production happening yeah. and that that inspired you that inspired me uh, I one it was one of the things that inspired me to, to go into film um, so how I got into theater mm-hmm. I, I ended up in, in Montreal and I was doing sound design there but going back to my desire to be a director I ended up taking a class at Concordia University with uh, Carol Zucker mm. who uh, taught she's written some wonderful books about acting for film where she interviews film actors and Mm -hmm. she's uh one of the rare film uh theorists that focuses on acting Mm -hmm. um and she had studied at the neighborhood playhouse with Mm -hmm. Sanford Meisner and uh gave us uh an introduction to that so that was one of my first kind of glimpses of oh okay maybe I need to really if I want to direct I need to understand acting yeah um, and then quite a few li- years later, I, well, a few li- years later, I was here in San Francisco and I was uh, working as a script supervisor on a web series that was directed by Christopher Stanley, who was an actor in Mad Men. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, this was his first time directing. And he was, a, you know, obviously a really well known and experienced actor. Mm-hmm. And I was his script supervisor, and he actually ended up asking me a lot of questions <laughs> because oh, awesome. he felt like I had more experience actually behind the camera, mm-hmm. um, which was very generous of him yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to include me in that way. And uh, it was a very great experience. And he was so great at directing the mm-hmm. actors, obviously, because he's an actor. And yeah. he, knew, he knew how to communicate with them and how to give them, how to inspire their creativity, yeah, right? Yeah. Inse- instead of being really prescriptive, how to say something that would open up an idea for them yeah yeah so after that i i was just asking him so what should i do i, I want to be able to direct like you do and he said you have to get into an acting class with people who really want to act and so that that kind of kick-started that for me and once i started acting i realized that the real <laughs> the real deal is theater right it's it's they're just very different animals. Yeah. I mean, when you said that about directing in film, it's 
There's so many film. It's actually very much what we're going through with great expectations. Um, he's got this concept to try and represent the sense of chapters. So there are numbers all over the stage. Almost looks like a giant clock or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so he spent all his time, and the lighting is therefore precise to those. So we spent all our time on staging. Well, suddenly I'm on stage, and I'm looking you in the eye, and I'm going, oh, right, wait, wait, you're my wife. <laughs> I have feelings about you that we aren't exploring at all in this process because it's more about make sure you're there so you're in the light, and then make sure I'm over here. And if I get close to you because that's my impulse emotionally, no, I'm out of the light. So all the majority like over 80 percent of what we spent our time on was that and i feel like in film that's what happens they want to frame the shot and you guys are going to be here and you know maybe a little louder or a little less loud or whatever but we're not going to stop and talk about what the relationship is or the you know the sort of things that in theater are just we just accept that as the way we communicate Mm -hmm. you know what's interesting i mean because in theater it, there seems to be, you know, it's expected that you're going to talk about the character. You're going to talk about the play. You're going to hear the director say, hey, listen, this is my concept. This is what I want to do. This is where I feel your character is. There's a lot of back and forth conversation going on. I get the feeling that a film director doesn't really do that. They may talk about the shot. Here's where I want you to be. Here's just a brief description of what the scene is all about. Now go. And it's really more about what I'm visually seeing as, as opposed to what you're visually feeling as an actor. So I'm imagine if you're an actor for a film, especially a young actor, you're like, well, what's my motivation? Why am I doing this? And the director's like, listen, don't bother me with all that. Can you just, just do it? Where uh, I feel an a-, a theater director is more like, okay, let's, let's talk mm-hmm. about it. Or let's talk about it after I finish, you know, doing this, but you know, we'll <laughs> sit there and talk later. I feel conversation is more, it's 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 welcome in theater mm-hmm. and it's not so welcome in film. Do you do you feel that way? Yeah, definitely. I I, I do. Of course, I I don't want to um, uh, belittle film directors either because it's a very different. I think it's a very different art in that for a lot of film directors, they feel like the actor should show up basically ready to work and ready. ready yeah, yeah right. performance ready. Um, and for, for 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 people that are more interested in theater, we know like the the great part is the rehearsal. Yeah, that's right, right. that's where all the the richness is and all right. the discoveries are. And once the show's done, it's like okay, now I'm just doing this. Right, show. exactly. What was your first uh, time on stage as an actress? Um, well, I did do some I did so do some theater in high school. Oh, okay. Um, which was not <laughs> not that interesting mm-hmm. um but actually this is this is going to sound a little crazy the first what i consider the first real performance that i did was vonda in venus and fur <laughs> which is okay. quite quite a, a huge role um oh, it's yeah? a two-hander mm-hmm. and uh yes the that role is on stage for the entire play was that here in the bay area it was actually it was at uh, San Francisco State University in their oh, brown yeah. bag uh, uh-huh. brown bag program. Mm-hmm. When were you there? Um, I, I I've actually because I'm an alum. Oh, so. you are. That's so wonderful. Oh, yeah. So I never have I never formally attended, uh, but my husband is a professor there. Right on. So he has uh, brought me to do oh. various things over the years. In fact, I just uh, did the sound design for a wonderful wonderful production of Marisol by Jose Rivera that oh just yeah, closed yeah. yesterday. And nice. it was just a be- absolutely beautiful show. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I've been back in the theater 
um, since mm-hmm. the pandemic, and I think for most of the audience, the first time they've been back in the theater. Um, so I've never been a student at SF State, but I because I've done a lot there over the years, it really yeah. feels like I have, and it's a really, it's a great place. Yeah. Who's it's your husband now? I'm curious. Uh, his name's Bruce Avery. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Usually, actors, they transition from the stage to film, and it sounds like you're doing sort of the opposite. I mean, I'm sure you st- you're still involved in film, and you still want to get involved in film directing, but it sounds like you got involved in film very, very quickly, and you had an advantage in Canada where there's an environment where you can really get involved in actual productions without having to go through a lot of red tape. I, f- I find that, it, from what I've heard, it's really, really hard doing what you did you know, at such a young age, you know, like handling scripts and working side by side with folks. Um, you know, I hear that it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to do that here in America. Um, but coming back here, I mean, do you feel, are you, still, are you still learning a lot from theater or do you think that you've, you know, you've gotten enough of a skill set <laughs> to jump back into film? I'm def. Uh, I love both, mm-hmm. and I both are definitely in my future. The nice, I mean, what I will say about theater is you have this opportunity to work with this these amazing scripts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyone can anyone can have access to them because things like all of Shakespeare is in the public domain, right? right so right. anyone can put on that brilliant show. Whereas if you are a young if you're a, an actor and you're working with a, a young screenwriter, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be Shakespeare <laughs> right, exactly. level, right? So yeah. it, it just gives you the opportunity to to stretch yourself and work with really amazing scripts. And I think that um, we should all take advantage of that if we can. Um, to me, film is is such a it's such a different medium because to me, it's it's so visual, right? Yeah. And yeah. it it you find different ways of telling the story. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that would, this would be a good time to segue into my uh, my work with the Michael Chekhov technique. Um, oh, because yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. this is this has be- become a, a really huge artistic influence for me. Um, it's something that I've been involved with over the past five or six years. And mm-hmm. uh, so Michael Chekhov uh, was... Is and was the nephew of Anton Chekhov. Wow! Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Stanislavski called him his most gifted student, mm-hmm. and he was interested in moving acting away from something that was completely naturalistic or or something where you need to draw from your own experience. Um, he believed that the keys for acting is all about your imagination and growing and building your imagination. And that was really powerful for me because some of my acting experiences um, and or experiences with other acting techniques were very actually traumatic <laughs> for me. Oh, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- uh, techniques where or teachers who would encourage you to use Aspect parts of of your own experience are things that might it's things that maybe were be- better left um, better left for therapy sure, <laughs> perhaps. Sure, sure. Um, and Michael Chekhov technique is it's really all about joy. It's all about imagination. Uh, it's about bringing your creativity to the role. About transforming uh, it. 
one of the things I see is that it sometimes feels like, especially casting directors, don't think people can actually act. <laughs> and they, ha they ha will hire people based on what they think is their innate personality and yeah, think you're yeah. perfect for this role. But even, even before you spoke, even before you did the monologue, right. you know, yeah. And that mm. really robs the actor of the chance to act. Right. And the chance to bring their own cre creativity. So that's, um, that's become a really important thing for me. And I think uh, that technique is great for actors, but it's also great for any artist or actually any person because it allows you to connect to this uh, sense of childlike play, imagination, uh, wonder, which is mm -hmm. where you find the joy and, and why I think people are drawn to storytelling. Can you give me an example of the Michael Chekhov technique? Um, I, I'm well aware of the dangers of, I guess, what I would call extreme method acting, where I <laughs> yeah. have to gain 500 pounds to play a big man, or I have to draw into, <clears throat> I have to really, really cry if my character is crying. I really have to tap into those things. And you're absolutely right, they can be very traumatic and is it really necessary? Does mm -hmm. the audience really need that? Can you do just enough so that the audience can get it? But what are the, some of the techniques that Michael Chekhov uses? Yeah, so um, as an example, let's say you were playing someone uh, who had just lost their child. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's horrific. And especially if you were a parent yeah. You might be tempted to think about that, yeah. which is, yeah. uh, you know, so how could you do that? I mean, to me, that would be just, uh, obviously, it would get you in the right spot. <laughs> right. It would get you in the yeah. right spot on stage. Yeah, but, uh, but at a price to the actor. Uh, but at a, as a price to you. And so in the Michael Chekhov technique, what you might do is in rehearsal on your own, you would practice uh, doing something called contracting. You would just contract and you would start out by doing this physically. Mm -hmm. Contract yourself into it, just a tiny ball. Tiny, tiny, as small as you can, as, uh, as empty, tiny as you can. Yeah. And feel what that likes physically. And you can do the role that way. And then eventually, all you have to do is, basically, there, there's a thing called the imaginary body. Mm -hmm. And you can feel your imaginary body doing that while you're saying the lines. And you'll go to that place Interesting. Without having to imagine anything other than a physical sensation that creates an emotional response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It reminds me, you did a role a while back, this was maybe four years ago, mm. where you lost, you and another actor lost their children. Their adult children, right, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I don't know if you, if you needed to go as an actor or if the character had to I relive. Find it's interesting because, I mean, what you're saying, you really can create a physical, you know, emotional, physical connection. Um, like I'm going through that right now. It, I don't want to give spoil things, but there there are definitely some emotional journeys in the play, Great Expectations. And because we are doing it in such a truncated version, you don't have the sort of ramp up that a normal script would have. You really just sort of have to hit the moment or find yourself in the moment. Right. And it's weird to me, the weird associations I make and then immediately, random sort of stuff goes through my head, and then I just latch on to what that physical sensation is. And it's always like the thing, crying is always a big one, right? Yeah. Um, rather than, and it's what I teach when I'm teaching acting, is I say, so rather than worrying about crying on stage, uh, try this mantra, I'm not going to cry. And just say it over and over and over again. And inevitably, at least a few students will get it immediately. They're like, 
whoa okay and i'm like so we don't need to see you cry we need to see you have an emotional reality and the emotional reality is if i called you right now and said your mom died the first feeling you're gonna have is i don't want that to happen yeah mm-hmm. i'm going to you know i'm going to resist that and that resistance is an emotion is a physical place yes. that resonates emotionally yeah and i've had other teachers that they use it may not be the michael Chekhov technique but let's say you're at an emotional state but rather than focusing on the emotion maybe you'll focus on another action you're trying to open up a uh, a medicine bottle or something mm-hmm. And you're told, do it. You have to open up this bottle, and you can't do it for whatever reason. And you're right. trying to do it. You're trying to do it. And that brings up an emotion. It may mm-hmm. not be the emotion that you are right. focusing on, but you can al- always mm-hmm. channel that. But there are ways, instead of having to tap into the real thing mm-hmm. and damage the actor. Yeah, it's kind of short-circuiting your <laughs> brain a little bit because yeah. what going to, what thinking about those things does is produce an, um, a response in your body that then produces an emotion. And instead, you can just produce the the physical right, right? right you can just bypass the whole uh emotion <laughs> or uh experience part or trauma- traumatic yeah. part but it's awesome that you are focusing on acting because you're trying to learn the language and you know it's not like you're trying to be an actor or an actress but you want to understand so that when you do get into directing you'll know how to relate to the actors and and you've directed right have you directed for the stage before uh yes i have yeah, yeah. um so have you ha- has it has it worked? I mean, have you been able to, you know, connect with the actors? I mean, talk about uh, your directing experience. Definitely, um, I do. I do use Chekhov technique um, when necess- when <laughs> when I can and and when it's needed. I think mm-hmm. ultimately, I I respect the actor's own um, own way yeah. of performing because people have different techniques, and if what they are doing is working, mm-hmm. I don't need to mess with that. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, but if there's something that, w- if there's a place where I think that um, Michael Chekhov te- technique might help, yeah. absolutely, we'll we'll use it. Um, and it's it's very it's very gentle, but it's also very um, enlivening. And I think anyone um, anyone would find that there's a place for it in their in their um, bag toolbox. of tricks. Yeah, 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 yeah. in their yeah. bag in their toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It. No, no, it's no, it's awesome, and I appreciate it as an actor because I've had some directors say, "Well, I have this technique, and we're all going to do it," and I'm like, "You know, why are you forcing me to do something? I already have an idea. You know, when I got casted for this thing, and when you casted me, I already had an idea of what I want to do for the role. So, just trust that." <laughs> well, you know, and then you, there are stylistic reasons why you might want to do that, but it, that's different than your acting process, right? Right, right, exactly. Um, now, you're, you're also a writer. I mean, can you talk to us about, um, because I'm sure at one point you were like, you know what, I'm maybe directing certain things and I may be a script, uh, you know, helping someone else's script. But I've got some ideas, too. I've got some, you know, stories that I want to tell. So can you talk about your, I guess, your journey as a, as a writer? Yeah, I mean, I have been a writer since I was a small child. In fact, I'm sure that's what my, my parents would have said that that's what they thought I would do. And in some ways, because I, I excelled at it when I was young, there was a lot of pressure applied to it. Um, So, so for me, it was like, Oh my gosh, if I'm not absolutely brilliant at this, then clearly like I'm a failure at everything. Mm, Um, And I, I, 
in some ways it was uh, that's actually been great because it's made me explore so many other um, areas of my creativity yeah, and yeah. they all feed on each other so when I come back to writing it's with this knowledge of acting and this knowledge of directing and this knowledge of design that allows allows you to to make a um, I mean, I think a much more powerful script and a much more informed script about the way theater or film actually gets made. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I only have two references of, of your work. I saw you. We did the Playwright Center for San Francisco in 2017. I think it was, no, was it 2017? I believe so. And you did the Cosmic Void. And the Cosmic Void, just to you know, make a long story short, is basically a, a person who has a, who has a business of taking away the pains and sorrows of an individual and throwing it in this thing. It's like a, a hole in the floor, which is called the cosmic void. And I call it like a, a black hole where you know you just throw it in. And it may just be just a thing of the mind where you're helping someone or the person is helping the other person relieve their sorrow. But also we can talk about uh, your um, the, the latest thing that you did. Um, I've got to pull up my thing. <laughs> the... Um, your your latest your your full play your one act I mean, I'm sorry your your full play um, funeral game yeah thank you thank you for helping <laughs> me funeral game because I, I feel it's almost the same thing you talk about individuals dealing with a sorrow or a loss or a pain that they want to go away mm -hmm. is that a, a central theme or is that just the two themes that you had for those two pieces um that's that's interesting i mean in some ways that's every single play <laughs> that we because it's just part of life right yeah, dealing yeah, with course. dealing with loss and how how do we keep going as humans knowing that we're gonna lose you know we're, right. uh, how much so much that we're gonna lose how do we keep going yeah. um and i think those two plays dealt with the dealt with those things in different in different ways um going back to the cosmic boys it's so funny i I really do like that play, and I will say that this was pre Marie Kondo. <laughs> uh -huh. And after, uh -huh. <laughs> so just a little more. It was um, one of the central things about this play um, was people bringing things to this this person that they couldn't get rid of themselves, mm. right? And yeah. I I have boxes like that. That was one of the things about it. It's like, what do you do from uh, with these things from past versions of yourself sure. that you feel so connected to? You do not want to throw them in the garbage but they're they're maybe not serving you anymore well we, we can become emotional hoarders mm -hmm. and you know and even physical hoarders so yeah so for that play it was really about someone else um i mean i guess in some ways it's like therapy right by just um sharing this with another person mm -hmm. it might help you to move on yeah um from what you're holding on to I, I think there's more for the f um, to that story that I might go back to. And, and like Funeral Game, it started out as a short play. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then it, it, it grew from there. Um, These but are two sisters, right? Uh, the yeah. Funeral Game, two sisters, and they're coming from a funeral, and they're having to deal with, I guess, is it the grandmother or the mother who died? So it was, uh, the story is the grandmother, mother died and left them this family cabin mm -hmm. which um they're deciding what to do with and it's further complicated by the fact that they had a younger sister who uh died at, Ooh, at yeah. drowned in this in, a, in the lake um at this cabin so uh 
the the child that died was uh, the middle child, mm-hmm. and uh, so the younger the youngest has mm-hmm. a very different memory of this place than the oldest, oh who shit, kind of yeah. knew everything mm. about it prior to yeah. this death, and the youngest only knew basically what came after. Sure, sure. Um, and that, in some ways, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to give it away. Um, but basically, the funeral well, you've game. You've given us this great setup. Yeah, though. the, the funeral mean. game was um, a way of the older sister dealing with uh, the tr- the trauma of losing this younger sister. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the play, they play this game again, and it's a way for them to kind of move on into maybe their adult life, mm. and also like reconnect as as uh, as sisters so there is a physical game i guess they they play there is an actual game yes and you don't have to get it go get into it but but we we get a a gist and i know that the play i I think the play is gone but i have a feeling it'll it'll pop back up again (laughs) yeah i hope so i i would i would love to see it um staged again it's on the national uh new play network yeah if anyone's interested very 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 cool have you enjoyed that the national new play network i'm I love the concept of it. I talk to producers. Some of them seem very appreciative of the of the idea. It doesn't facil- it doesn't seem like it has made the connections that it is that is it is trying to encourage. I've definitely read plays um, because Bread and Butter has been really focused on two handers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a limited supply, and uh, we we are always looking for new ones. So I've definitely read plays that are on um, the New Play Network um, looking for new material. I think it's great um, to to allow things to grow because unless a play gets done at, say, like a major regional theater or on Broadway, it's not... It's probably not going to get published by a major publisher. So sometimes um, it might take a... you know, maybe there's a life for that play, but it needs to um, be produced several times before it gets them and maybe develop more before it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New Play Exchange, I think that's the, um, and I mm-hmm. got introduced to it via Playground. It's wonderful, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's it's one of those tools where it's only as good as you use it. You know, you have to push your plays out there and get it out there. And I, I've even had some emails come in saying, hey, you know, we're interested. And it may be even in high school, high mm-hmm. school in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, it's better than nothing. And, you know, someone's uh, checking it out. So. Are they? Well, I mean, they'll they'll at least they'll say, hey, we're looking for submissions. And mm-hmm. it looks like we haven't read your play yet, but, you know, please give oh. us a, sub- a submission. So. Yeah. So, so it does work, Yay. but obviously it's up to you to sort of push it. And I guess that gets into the other thing. Have you, um, have you thought about, I guess, your, the business, so t- looking at yourself as a, a businesswoman? Because a lot of us artists, you know, we, we're concentrated on the art of writing and acting. But, well, I guess actors, we do, you know, we do our resumes and we go out to audition. And, yeah. But have you thought of just how you promote yourself? You have your website, and I don't know if you have an agent or I don't know if you're still uh, have your connections with the film industry, but how do you look at yourself as a businesswoman, the business part of it? That's that's a great question. Um, I actually have been working on an MBA over the last few years. Um, and so I actually just finished my final project, um, which was on uh, virtual theater during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's absolutely been 
part of my journey. It mm -hmm. was, um, to me, and, and this is especially as a woman, mm -hmm. um, so, and not so much in theater, but especially in film, you can feel like uh, there's imposter syndrome. There's, um, what do I do? what don't I know that these people know? And to me, it was like, I am just going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn all the things that maybe I don't know. And, uh, feel like it, when I go in, if I go into a meeting, mm -hmm. I have as, as much right as anyone to be there. There you go. And I, you know, you it go. probably wasn't necessary, but it was something that to me was important. Yeah. And, uh, I definitely feel like it empowered me. Um, and it, it allowed me to, um, have some more trust in my own instincts and to, um, really feel empowered as a, as a leader and feel like I, I can be a leader. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, I mean, you've had, I'm sure your husband is, is, you know, backing you and supporting you. And also you've, you've had a lot of success with other theater companies. I mean, you, when you have... Dragon Theater, you're working with them, Bread and Butter Theater, the Potrero Stage, the Playwright Center for San Francisco. I mean, that, that means a lot. And, you know, when people look at your resume and your line of work. And also just the sound stuff. We haven't even talked about the sound stuff, how, you know, you <laughs> were designing sounds and, you know, providing um, sound for not only theater, but also film, you know, production. So, you know, that is fantastic in itself. So you have a foundation. You know, there are a lot of young folks who don't have foundations at all. Um, so... I think you have a lot to be proud of. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh yeah, it's uh, it's always a journey and I think I feel at this point comfortable reinventing myself. Mm -hmm. Um sometimes I it, it feels a little bit uh silly to be involved in so many different things, right? Or people might say like, "So what are you? Are you a designer? Are you a director? Are you a writer?" But um, my opinion is if you're if you're an artist, you actually should embrace all of those things yeah. and it's going to make you better. It's yeah, going to make right. you a better storyteller. And in addition, um, my work as a as a sound designer has given me access to rehearsal processes that I never would have had access to before. Um, and just being able to see really wonderful directors mm -hmm. um, mm. work has been so valuable um, like working with Jessica Holt, um, on the world premiere of the daughters at as a playhouse was really wonderful. Mm. Uh, working with Don Monique Williams at go. several productions. Yeah. She's just fantastic. Um, uh, Victor and Milana Mayog, I had the opportunity to work to work with, um, with the ACT MFAs and, uh, all just very different rehearsal processes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as a designer, it's like I'm there to support the production as a designer, but I also get to be a fly on the wall and see uh, how they're nice. working. Nice and way to put it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really and you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of folks, a lot of the uh, guests that we've had on the Yay, they'll start off, like for me, I start off as a stage manager and a sound designer and a sound operator or a lifeboat operator. And then, you know, you get to see the process. And then, you know, I got back into acting and now I'm into writing and that sort of stuff. And I think it's almost impossible to just do one thing in theater. You sort of have to do a bunch of things, not only to learn so many aspects of theater, but also to get your name out. You know, if you're only doing one thing, you only, you only <laughs> stay on one lane. Right. If you limit yourself, then you sit around waiting for the phone to ring. Right. right. And, you're, and your creativity is just sort of 
on idle. <laughs> right, right. So that's part of the hustle game. Are you enjoying, I guess, the Bay Area? Do you want to venture out or are you happy where you are right now? Has, has Bay Area Theater been good to you? I should say that. Uh, I I feel really fortunate um, in Bay Area Theater. I, I mean, first of all, there are so many companies here. Yeah. Um, so you can work consistently, or I have been able to work really consistently. Um, I will say that over the pandemic, I right before the pandemic hit, I realized that I was doing way too much. Mm. Um, and so I was working on four shows at once. <laughs> I was in uh, tech for a show, previews for another show, um, production meetings coming up for, for other shows. Um, and what it meant was I wasn't really able to give my full self to any of those shows. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a tricky thing because when you get a great opportunity, you want to say, of course, yes, I want to work with this director. I love this show. I want to work with this company. Yeah. But if you can't give everything to it, you're not going to do a good, you're not going to do a good job. Right. And, uh, so that was kind of where I found myself, um, at the beginning of the pandemic and, I actually worked quite a bit through the pandemic. I think mm -hmm. I worked on eight or nine shows, um, virtual I'm sure, I'm sure, produc with productions. Zoom, yeah. 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 Um, but coming out of it, I'm I'm looking at doing less, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. being able to do more with the shows that I have. Yeah. Um, and I think if we're gonna do if if people are gonna do if we're gonna do it, and I think maybe across the board, that's what I would say. Maybe we need to do less. Mm -hmm. Um but put more of ourselves into the work that we do. Yeah. So, so are you happy where you are right now? You're not looking to go elsewhere? I'm definitely not looking to, to move elsewhere. I'm certainly open to uh, doing short-term things. I, back in 2019, I did a show at Kansas city rep, which was really, oh, nice. um, mm -hmm. that was great. Um, so I would be interested in doing short-term. And I think one of the things that we've all learned over the pandemic is we can work, remotely right. and in fact so geographic much. location maybe isn't as important as mm -hmm. it used to be because even for an actor like a lot of those early stage auditions are going to be happening by through a tape um yeah. remotely so you don't need to go down to la for everything or mm -hmm. it's possible to to make those connections um th uh remotely so I'm n I'm definitely here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. I, I I really love the I I really love it here. Um, I feel like I'm a I'm a Canadian and I'm a San Franciscan. Right on, right <laughs> on. That's a, that's the way I look at it. Cool. I had a question for you, Norma, before we close it up because we're hitting the one hour mark. Yeah. She mentioned overworking, and I, th I immediately thought of you because you know a lot of times. <laughs> You're in a show, you're in rehearsals for another show, you're opening for this show, and you're in talks for another show. Do you ever feel overworked? Do you feel that your brain cannot partition too much? <laughs> what I've found is over the years, I mean, that notion of, you know, if you're not doing other things, you sitting and you're waiting. And for me, a lot of that was working in other, you know, a lot of teaching, a lot mm. of other things. And, um, and, the pandemic was a great sort of stop. I mean, that was my lifestyle was doing this and that and the other thing. Always got a bunch of plates up in the air spinning. Mm -hmm. And I've started being a little more targeted in the work that I do so that I'm getting paid well enough that I don't have to scramble and do three jobs in a day, which, 
is a nice change. Um, and that's been going on for a little while. So by the time the pandemic hit, it was much more of the, how can I get more going in my career where I want it to be going? And, and I started asking myself what I wanted to be doing. So what I felt like, because on the flip side, I had hit a point where after working, 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 suddenly I hit this dry spell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what happened? Was that just like a high and that's over? I'm on the roller coaster and I'm heading down. And bam, lockdown happened. And it was like, oh, nobody's working. Nobody's doing anything. Mm-hmm. And sitting out in my yard, in fact, I was sitting here just digging dirt from under my thing because I gardened this morning. Um I'm like, that's what I want to be doing. So I would love people to just find a more human scale to what they do. Mm-hmm. And you know what your energy is and you know what feeds you. And sometimes working hard feels really good. So nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But to be able to kind of gauge it, not commuting. This show has been intense because I'm going from Oakland to San Jose, often through thick traffic, not the heart of rush hour, but maybe the tail end of it. And mm-hmm. that's been... That would intense. scare me. <laughs> like, it's been intense. Yeah. No, I'm spending a lot more money because I'm getting in that express lane and just going, I don't I don't want to wait. Even yeah. if I'm only getting, you know, eight minutes, yeah. but I'd rather you, have it. But do you ever worry, Norman, let's say you're in a show, but you're rehearsing for another show, just as an actor, making sure you don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's even possible to confuse one line with another. I remember when I was in high school, mm-hmm. I was so ambitious. Uh, there were like four directors and I was doing four one-act plays all mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And I had to tell myself, okay, wait a minute. Okay, so this character, this is the line for that. Uh-huh. And not. And I guess when I was younger, I could partition my mind and not get either confused. Well, it's that whole, it's the myth of multitasking. I learned and I actually learned this in a bad experience I was producing a show and in a show and it was a three-hander so there was not a whole lot of downtime for us but I was producing another show and those shows teched back to back I mean one show teched and opened and then the other show Mm -hmm. teched while that other show where the first show was opening and even if I could go on stage and just shut down all of my thinking about the other show, I had to at some point turn off show number one so I could think about show number two. So I was never giving it my full attention. And right. I've learned Which that I think lesson. Is what you were talking about, Lana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's not just doing the actual shows, as you were saying, it's getting to them right like at one point i was doing a show at aurora and san jose stage at the same time so sometimes i would i would be going back and forth between (laughs) those two places and it you know that that part of it adds up like just the time in the car the barrier traffic um which is coming back now (laughs) right it is it is very much back Yeah. yeah even on bart it's uh i'm noticing that it's tough all right, we've hit the one hour mark. I was, I was, what was I thinking about? Oh, I remember. Okay, so this show, this is one last quick story. So I had broken up with a girlfriend in 2001, and I was so heartbroken. I was like, okay, I'm not going to sit in my house and just mope. I'm going to do show, show, show. And I remember doing, we were just finished doing the, um, I'm looking at the poster, uh, Water Buffalo. And then Im- immediately after that, Linda Ayers Frederick uh, said, hey, can you stage manage Othello? 
that was gonna that was you know the minute water broke well, broke down mm-hmm. we were setting the stage for Othello at the same stage right <laughs> so I did that and then I did immediately after that the marriage of Bet and Boo and that was mm-hmm. like three shows back to back to back right I had no breaks at all but I needed it right. I, I just needed to be active well that's I've started and I keep trying to remind myself I I made a promise to myself a couple of years ago that I would celebrate my accomplishments so I would put it in my calendar you're finishing a show because there can be that you know that that sort of I don't know what I'm doing now or it's over and I you know what am I going to do next and I just wanted to make sure there was a little buffer of like I'm I've been thinking about trying to find a spa I want to go someplace where I can have somebody massage me you know sauna Mm -hmm. hot tub and just zone there you, you know, go. Really just say to my body, thank you. My body and my spirit. Just say, here you go. You, you've been so fantastic. And, you know, if we don't do that for ourselves, maybe if we're lucky, we've got a partner who kind of mm-hmm. reminds us we should mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. But do it's you mind important. if I interject there? Because this yeah, sounds yeah. like a yeah. good time. Um, I, I, have to, I have to let people know that uh, speaking about uh, the Michael Chekhov technique. Yes. Mm-hmm. Myself, uh, my husband, and uh, Hugh O'Gorman, who is a wonderful acting teacher based out of Long Beach, who has just uh, published a book called uh, Acting Action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jenna Davi, who is an actor as well as a, a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. are planning a retreat in Costa Rica in May with oh. exactly what you're talking about in mind. It's uh, The point of this is the title is Reclaiming Joy. Right on. And it is for actors and artists and basically anyone else who feels like they want to connect uh, with themselves and have a break in the jungle of Costa Rica by the ocean (laughs) with waterfalls and monkeys. Um, And also uh, do some Michael Chekhov technique work and uh, some yoga yoga work and really rediscover why they're doing what they like about art and why Mm -hmm. they're doing it and connect with other people because we've all been through a lot (laughs) over the last two and a half years and uh that's what we have in mind that sounds wonderful if you're interested uh you can uh look it up it's on the bread and butter website oh great um yeah or we'll we'll put it we'll we'll have a link for it that sounds wonderful and in addition uh bread and butter is going to be doing uh free Michael Chekhov technique workshops every third Saturday between January and April. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be outside. Uh, it's very movement based and uh, free. So if you're interested, you can look it up check on the that website. Out. That sounds right on. very that's cool. Website. We'll definitely check that out. And we're, we're so happy to have you here. Um, birthdays, shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Oh, don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> New phone. Uh, so quick yeah. story. Yeah, I uh, fell asleep in the tub last week and... Yeah. Drop my phone. <laughs> Good thing about new technology. You can't oh, get electrocuted. God. So I'm dealing with a new phone and trying mm-hmm. to get, I find out all the apps that I have decided are like my fingers and toes. And I'm like, no, I need that. And I either don't have it on the phone or I don't know how to find it yet. But anyway, here's my list. Uh, Rail Myers Hodges is an amazing director. Um, it's funny. She was in the Bay Area and she was actually running Brava for a minute. Um, but her career has taken her across the country, and she continues. She is wonderful. Um, a friend of mine, one of my, uh, he likes to introduce me as his oldest friend um, because we've known each other since he's a year younger than me. His birthday is coming up Monday. And um, so he was in middle school when we met. I was in high school. Um, Alan Thompson. 
Uh, Jimmy Ashmore was an actor who had just moved to the Bay Area, and I was needing somebody for a Jeannie Baroga reading and grabbed him, and I realized I saw his name today, and I went, oh, boy, I should call him up and maybe get him involved in a reading I've got coming up next year. Uh, Alex Wong um, was part of, if you remember Amber Rubarth. Uh, oh, yeah. The, there was a trio of musicians who had created a musical called The Paper Raincoat. From, from Nashville, right? Yeah, they were all yeah from yeah. Nashville, which was weird because they came out here and actually workshopped. Um, and Alex was one of those Alex Wong's birthdays this week. Stuart Evan Smith Jr. is, I always think of him as a young black man because that's how I met him. But God, that was like 2005. So maybe not as young anymore. And we met uh, doing uh, 43 plays for 43 presidents with um, Rough and Tumble. And Mara Fox is a good friend of the folks, of the Rough and Tumble folks. Wow. So she saw the show with five actors, two black men, one of them tall, skinny, and young, one of them not. She does not remember me at all. <laughs> and yet we are happily married <laughs> now. <laughs> um, Deborah uh, Eliezer, I always mess up oh. her name. Um, she's with Fool's Fury, and uh, and we are SF alums, SF State alums. Amy Nielsen is somebody who I finally went to see in a show, but I had met her at the piano bar, the Alley Piano Bar here in Oakland. And I went up to Contra Costa Theater, um, what is it, Contra Costa County Theater? Is that what it is, CCCT? Yeah, you're right. To do, they started doing these Marx Brothers musicals. And I knew her as a beautiful singer, and she was playing Harpo. Mm. So no songs, <laughs> but her birthday is this week. And the final one I have is Donald Lacey. If you don't know Donald Lacey, you see him every time you see a Welcome to Oakland sign because it says Love Life. And that is an homage to his daughter who was killed gang violence yes, yes, um, yes. in a shooting um, here in Oakland. Yeah. And he started a whole, there's a foundation and all kinds yeah, of stuff. I tried to reach out to him. I didn't hear from him, but I'm sure a lot of you folks have, but I've seen his name. and uh, Yeah, he very... did a lot of work with Campo Santo. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he's doing right now, but his birthday is this week. So those right. are my birthday kids for this week. <laughs> all right, and my list uh, today, uh, Christine Pagador. I'm looking ah. at a picture right now. We did a Godspell at the um, Centerville Presbyterian Church. This is 2015. I'm, I, I'm thinking it was yesterday, but it was really, what, seven years, six years ago? Mm -hmm. um, time flies. But in any case, uh, yeah, so her birthday is today. Um, as I go down the list, um, on yesterday, the 19th, Isabella Capozzi. I'm sure you remember her. She was uh, she was in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Break. Oh, yeah. What, was she? Yeah, she yeah. was. Uh, yeah, she and her sister, um, oh. Gianna. Mm -hmm. uh, she is 20 years old, and uh, she is uh, really uh, doing well. Um, really, the whole Capozzi family. It was such a joy uh, interviewing her and her mom and her sister uh, when they were both on. It's always wonderful to have a family involved in theater. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always really, really cool. Um, a fellow uh, alum of, of Duke Ellington School of the Arts, Robert Digman. I was so jealous of Robert when I was in high school because he actually had an acting job. One of our acting teachers was like, hey, you know, we're doing a thing at Arena Stage. We want, you, we want to cast you. I'm like, hey, what about me? <laughs> case, no, he, he was very, very um, talented. Uh, so his birthday, and he is in Hawaii. He's just enjoying life, and he is chilling over there. Uh, he's 52 years old. Um, this, his oh, you going to out him with numbers and stuff. <laughs> Damn. Well, hey, he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, it's on Facebook. Which I guess is turning into meta or mega or meta, what, whatever it is. We're going to call it Facebook. Right. Uh, also on the 22nd, Keaton Wilkerson, 
Speaking of women on the verge, he ah. was the uh, the lead actor uh, there. Mm. If you remember um, Madrid. Madrid, mm-hmm. he's my mama. So that's Keaton Wilkerson, uh, just an ma- amazing voice, and we're happy to uh, interview him. His birthday is November the 22nd. He will be 27. Uh, boy, I remember those days. <laughs> you remember uh, Alan Roy Thompson? You've mentioned him. Yeah. Uh, also on the Oh, 20- and I can actually include him. He's not just my oldest friend. I can actually include him as an actor now because I put him in um, a reading of this James Baldwin piece. Oh, right time. on. Cool. Yeah. That means I'll be, I'll, I may be working with him. Cool. Yeah. Um, on the 23rd, Chuck Laxon, we had him and his uh, wonderful wife, Julie Coabara, on the A. Uh, as a matter of fact, he had just finished doing, um, we haven't done um, plays yet, but yeah. he, he, just, he recently just finished doing a show written by Jeffrey Lowe. Uh, on oh, one, right. A one-man a one play. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name yet, but uh, I'm glad to see Chuck is uh, back in the action. Uh, and uh, you mentioned John Lacey, and that is it. That's my list shows. Of course, we want to push. Great, uh, expectations great Expectations opens tonight. Uh, we run through December the 12th. 12th. Uh, we are running Wednesday and Thursday at 7.30, Friday at 8 o'clock, Saturday, two shows, 2 o'clock and 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. and Sunday matinees. Yow. <laughs> and I've got a couple of shows. Also, our good friend Crystal Brown, she has a new YouTube channel, Theater for Life. And on the channel, she has a podcast, Inspiring Artists. Her first episode uploaded on November the 17th, three days ago. She had a guest, Pao Cheng Tsai. And we invite you to check out that channel. Also, another good friend of ours, Dan Wilson, he has a YouTube channel, Binge Watch Improv. And he has about 67 videos on there. He's having a lot of fun. I'm so glad that he's uh, still active. And so we have that link as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shows, La Vida Lobo. There are a couple of uh, shows that are being presented as part of Playground Innovative Showcase. One is uh, La Vida Lobo. That opens uh, tonight. Uh, And it also, uh, I think there are only two shows, November the 20th and December the 4th. And Linda Amaya Hassan wrote that. Uh, Also, The Art of Care, The Act of Care, I'm sorry. Mm. And that ends tomorrow. Uh, That's part of the Chickahan Theater Company. Uh, but he's being presented at Portrero stage, and we've had uh, Lauren Garcia talk about that. Right. Um, also, I think I got a message about it, and I was like, uh, "My show's opening, y'all don't <laughs> don't talk to me." Right. Right. Exactly. Hey, it's it's what it is. And uh, the Chickahan, of course, was created by Conrad Paganaban, Lauren Garcia, Crystal Piamonti Jong, and Alan Kismorio. We've all yeah. had them on. A lot of them ex Bendel stiffers. Uh, Linda's earlier play, Cheer, Story of a Dreamer. Um, that was uh, oh, part of Portrayal Stage, but yeah. now it's gotten a revival of life. Yay. On-demand streaming, and we have the um, nice. link there, showticksforyou.com. Mm-hmm. Um, Lola Cooks Our Food. That's the one-man show that Ch- Chuck Laxon's part of, uh, and uh-huh. that is streaming right now. Um, City Lights Theater is uh, hosting that, written by Jeffrey Lowe, and we have the link for that. Mamma Mia, Tri-Valley Repertory Theater. That ends uh, tomorrow. Uh, Melissa Mamboese is in that show, so check that out if you're not doing anything tomorrow. Also ending tomorrow, there are a couple of shows that are ending tomorrow. The Book of Will, Foothill College, Echo Yamamoto is in that. That closes tomorrow. The Revolutionists, Palo Alto Players, that ends tomorrow. That was um, Kimberly Ridgway is in that show. A Christmas Carol actually opens December the 9th, ends on the 21st. Our good friend Terrence Smith is in that play. That's Center Rep Theater. They're doing a Christmas Carol. Uh, Into the Woods. Um, 
We've been talking about that for a bit. That that actually opened yesterday, and it closes December the 23rd. Andy Yoham and Mara Sotelo is in that show. Berkeley Playhouse. This is the proper version of Into the Woods, not the, not the other version. <laughs> uh, City Lights Theater is doing The Hollow. That actually begins next year, January the 20th. Uh, ends February the twenty uh, February the twentieth. Uh, Anne Yumi Kabori is in that show. We used to see her writing pieces <laughs> and directing pieces. She's actually acting in this one now. And uh, we've talked about the Central Works Script Club. You can download and read a play script. Send in your questions for the playwright and listen to an audio interview with the playwright. We have that link. Barry Graves, a good friend, has his podcast, The Black Man's Heart. Please check that out. Mallory Samara has her podcast. Connect the dots at key KCBS Radio. Uh, you have anything? Um, uh, just a couple things. One, yes. I just want to mention the next Monday Night Playground. Ooh, which oh, yes. looks like it's going to be December twentieth. Is that the Who Done It? Uh, no, Who Done It just happened oh, this okay. week, this last week. I couldn't be involved with that, but I yeah. think I'll be directing the next one. Yeah. And then I want to say for uh, great expectations, if folks are listening and they want to get a discount code, I'm not going to just blast it out. Mm -hmm. But if you send in a request, I happily will let you know what the discount code is. And there was something else I wanted to say about it, but I can't think about it. <laughs> I wanted to pump once again. Uh, we have jerseys. We have uh, black yay jerseys. We have white jerseys, striped or non-striped. And I'll be posting pictures of folks who have actually bought our jerseys. And uh, we want to thank them for promoting the I show. I love the pictures. The pictures are fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, $30. Uh, it'd be a wonderful uh, Christmas gift if you want to. And once again, you'll be supporting us. We thank you so much. And with that... Um, did you enjoy yourself, Lana? It was it was great. I I love seeing all uh, seeing all of these people that have been on the show. That you know, many of many of them I've worked with before. So yeah, it's really yeah, it's wonderful. almost it's it's one of those uh, what is it um, six degrees? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you don't know somebody, you know somebody who knows somebody. So right. Yeah, so it's awesome. It, it's fantastic seeing you again. And uh, uh, by all means, if you have other things going on, let us know as the show goes on. We'll be pumping these things. So. No, I love I love when we get to add all kinds of links from the guest and go, hey, this is <laughs> you know. right. It's, exactly. It's so exciting to see that live theater is coming back. It is. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen pictures of uh, audience members and they'll have their masks on, but right. they're there. Right. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So by all means, please promote Bay Area theater, you know. COVID-19 may have crippled us, but it hasn't gotten us down, and we can't let Bay Area Theater die. So that's... That's the other thing I was going to say. Yes. So I've sat here the whole time. You can't see this, obviously, because it's audio, but I've been... He has a, he has a red cup. I've got hand. little solo, tiny solo cups, shot glasses yes, yes. Um, for shots tonight, since it's our opening. Yeah. Um, and it's a little thing I do. And I love that we do a podcast, because if this was live, everybody in the show would be hearing this. But by the time this is up and out in the mm -hmm. world... We have already we will have already had our shots, but anyway, tonight mm -hmm. we break our legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's eleven fifty four in the morning, and so I'll be posting this maybe around two p.m. But in any case, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for coming out here. We're, the reason why we're doing this on a Saturday morning is because you have a show to uh, go to. Uh, Great expectations. Yeah, I've got. Uh, we open tonight eight o'clock. Yeah, I would say break a leg. I never liked that term, but you know, just have a you have can a say mid. <laughs> <laughs> all right, if you're watching, if you're listening to the Yay, we are on all uh, podcast apps. We're on the Apple Podcast app, that purple podcast app that you have on your phones. We're also on Spotify. And if you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, our official 
Twitter feed is the Yay Three. I'm at Red Space Clay, and I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. And Lana, you have an Instagram and a Twitter. Um, yeah, thing. my Twitter is at Lana Palmer, and my Instagram is at Lana underscore <laughs> underscore Palmer. Yeah, and I think you have a photography. Um, I do. Instagram thing too. Yeah, I do. It's been obviously uh, was on hiatus during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, but I'm looking to get back into that. Yeah, people should check that out as well if you want to see some wonderful pictures taken. I take it by you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right yeah. on, right on, right on. All righty. Thank you so much. And uh, uh, this is uh, our last podcast before Thanksgiving. So for everyone out there, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Oh, that's right. You can be out of town. I'm going to be jumping on a plane to Washington, D.C. It's going to be really cold and frigid. And I have no idea what the COVID protocols are for the planes. I'm hoping that I don't. Yeah, I've been reading. Uh, I'm, this thing <laughs> is being extended. But I've been reading about passengers just flipping out, you know. Just, right. You know, if you're upset or frustrated by COVID-19, that's fine. But don't take it out on the passengers. On the, uh, on, on the on staff. Yeah. 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 All right. So just, you know, just take a deep breath. Relax. You know, <laughs> we'll have the link to, um, you know, the um, what was the other uh, thing that um, the the. Um, the retreat. Yeah. The retreat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Think about the retreat. You know, so just be good to yourself. Be good to your body and be good to each other. Thank you. Happy holidays to everybody. And as Norman and I always say, we, we got to find, find a, a better, better sign-off. Sign and we are...